Carter Report presents worship from the Community Adventist Fellowship in Glendale, California. A special welcome to all of our viewers in North America and our new friends and churches in Russia. Today you'll enjoy uplifting music and the preaching of the everlasting gospel by pastor, teacher, and evangelist John Carter. Please get your Bible and study the Word of God with us today. Thank you for joining us for Worship and Praise. today to welcome each of you. Today the topic is the three men who would not burn. The great golden image, 60 cubits high, 6 cubits broad. The decree to compel the conscience, the sentence of death, and the coalition of church and state in the last days to enforce the mark of the beast. All this and much more today in Daniel chapter 3. Now before we get into Daniel chapter 3, I want to send greetings today to our friends in Canada, to our marvelous supporters in Canada, our supporters across the United States of America. We want to send you today our love and our best wishes. And we want to say to you today, we appreciate your support. We appreciate your prayers because nine weeks time or less when you see it, 
By the grace of God, we will be commencing a massive citywide campaign and evangelistic crusade in the city of Kiev that's going to go every night, God willing, without break for 30 nights. And we have been urged by our brethren in that part of the world to televise the series because the doors of opportunity are closing in the land of the Ukraine. And we believe that if we are forced out, we need to leave these videotapes behind so that they, they can go on preaching. And in these great projects, we're asking you today to pray for us and support us. And when you're in Southern California, when you're in Los Angeles, may I invite you to come join us here in our church, the Community Adventist Fellowship, 333 East Colorado Street, Glendale, California. Let me say it again, 333 East Colorado, Glendale, California. Come and worship with us and study the Word of God with us. And if you forget what I've told you, call us when you get to Southern California. Let me give you our office number. It's 818-546-8444. Let me say it again. It's 818-546-8444. Worship with us Saturday mornings at 10.45 a.m. Great music with Paul Mickelson and Martha, the prayer ministry. And Beverly always has a part of the program. And then I will open up the Word of God. So we welcome you today. Join us whenever you are in Southern California. So would you please turn with me today to Daniel, the third chapter, and we will notice what Daniel has to say today about the great metal man, the great golden image, and the three men who would not burn. Daniel 3 and verse 1, and the Bible says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 90 feet high, or in the original it says 60 cubits. That is significant. Because six in the Bible is the number of the Antichrist. Six is the number of man's apostasy. And so when you come through to Revelation 13, and we shall notice it very briefly today, you have the number 666, which is the trinity of apostasy. And in this chapter, we have the great image of Babylon, which is the abomination of desolation, which symbolizes the Antichrist. And the Bible says it is 60 cubits high or 90 feet high, nine feet wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Some time ago, it was my privilege to be in the land of, of the ancient Babylonians. I think I was the last foreigner to visit before the war with Saddam Hussein. I traveled down to the city of Babylon, the old ruins of Babylon. It was an amazing event. We could have got into awful trouble, which would not have been unusual. But while we were there, we climbed up the mound which represents today uh, the summer palace of Nebuchadnezzar. It is still several hundred feet high. We have all of this on videotape. As I was climbing up the mound, something amazing happened to me. It may seem a little thing, but a jackal ran out of one of the caves, a little hole in the ground. I thought immediately of the words of scripture that the jackals would play in the ruins of old Babylon. This was once the greatest city of the ancient world. Today, it is just a mass of decaying bricks. But as we stood on the top of this large, large hill, the remains of Nebuchadnezzar's summer palace, all of a sudden we were surrounded by helicopters on all sides, 
Russian gunships. I had no idea what was going on. They circled around us, and then a little while later, a detachment of Iraqi soldiers came panting up the mound, and an Iraqi captain said to me, very courteously, he said, what on earth are you doing? We had our television camera, big tripod. You know what was happening? We had walked into a situation that we would never have dreamed possible. Saddam Hussein was right there in the same city, and he had come down the highway, and we were looking over the highway. His whole group of motor cars had come down the highway. If we had wanted to, we could have gone up the top there with a bazooka and wiped out the whole of that problem in that part of the world, some would say. Some would say. Of course, there are two points of view. And uh, while we were there in Iraq, we were treated with great courtesy by the Iraqis. I was arrested on one occasion. I was interrogated, picked up from the hotel at 11 o'clock at night, taken through the back streets and interrogated for hours. But besides that, it was just fun. Um, as we stood there on the mound of Babylon, I explained to the officer what we were doing. We believed that this great city was a part of the prophecies of the Bible, and we were there to televise. And we let him look through the lens of the television camera. We didn't let him look through. <laughs> he looked through the lens of the television camera, saw what we were doing, and we received permission to, to stay there. We also had a, a bunch of papers from government officials that had already given us authorization to be there, but not necessarily at the same time as Saddam Hussein was there. And while I was there, I could not help myself because of my love for archaeology. This is a great honor now. This is more honorable than holding the glasses, sure know, going up in the world. But I picked up some bricks from Nebuchadnezzar's summer palace. And these are actual bricks that were placed there two and a half thousand years ago. Those of you who are sitting down the front will see the cuneiform writing. See the cuneiform? There it is. Would you like to know what it says? Hmm? See the cuneiform writing? It says, Nebuchadnezzar says, support the Carter Report and the coming crusading gift. It doesn't say that at all. It doesn't say that at all. Let me have a look at this one, Sean Dora. See what this one says. Nebuchadnezzar says, make it a good offering. <laughs> But if you look carefully, you will see the cuneiform. See it? The wedge-shaped writing. And they have been found in Babylon. Can you see that, my friend? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You really see it? You don't go to heaven. You can't read it. Oh, that's all right. It's okay. <laughs> uh, but there you have the, the wedge-shaped writing. And millions of these bricks are in Babylon. You just can't go and get them and take them away. But there are millions of these bricks. I don't know what's written here in the cuneiform. I can't read cuneiform. But millions of the bricks in Babylon. See that? See the cuneiform? Mm -hmm. There are millions of bricks in Babylon which say, I, Nebuchadnezzar, have built this city for my glory. So there is no question at all concerning the historicity of these events. I felt, I felt a tremendous... Look after those. Don't let anybody take them. Mm -hmm. If they're lost, you know. <laughs> You'll have to go back and get me some more. <laughs> and today it's very hard for an American to go to Babylon and take some bricks. 
When I went there, I felt a sense of awe. This was the place where the prophet Daniel had stood. This is the place where the men were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. This is the place that witnessed the coming of the great angel. He came down there. Gabriel came down there and gave the prophecies concerning our own day and our own age. And I was standing in the very place, my friend, where these words were fulfilled. I want you to notice them today. Don't you find this interesting? Mm -hmm. how, how wonderful it is to know that the Bible is true. There was a Nebuchadnezzar. There was a Daniel. And the word of God and the prophecies have come to pass. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 90 feet high and 9 feet wide, 60 cubits high. And uh, so we should think of the cubits, 6 cubits wide. Set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And you notice that this image, dear friend, what is it made of? Come on, let's have a little talking today. What's it made of? The Bible says it is made of gold. This obviously is a replica of the great image of Daniel chapter 2. And the head of Babylon, representing Babylon, was made of gold. Then you had silver and bronze and iron and clay. But Nebuchadnezzar wanted his kingdom to last forever. And so the golden head was extended to represent the kingdom of Babylon that would rule the world. The ancient Hebrews had a name for this. The ancient Hebrews referred to an idol by the term the abomination. And in the scriptures, when you get into Daniel 8, Daniel 9, and Daniel 11, you read there of the abomination of desolation, and Jesus refers to the abomination of desolation in Matthew 24. People have asked, what is the abomination of desolation? It comes from the great idol here. This great idol is the symbol of the great power of the Babylonians. And this power is still in existence today. The Bible says that the great antichrist or the abomination of desolation will stand in the holy place in the last days. Now verse 2. He then summons, summons the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, This is what you are commanded, commanded to do, O people, nations and people of every language, as soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, Nations and men of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. These words are tremendously important because not only have they been fulfilled in the past, but they will be filled full in our own days when the image to the beast is set up. 
And this is recorded, of course, in Revelation 13, where it talks about a universal decree to worship the great Antichrist in the last days. I want you to notice here in these verses that Nebuchadnezzar is using a psychological device. He brings a great crowd of people together and he issues a universal decree that every person must fall down and worship. Let me ask you something. Is it hard to resist the majority? Have you ever heard about the tyranny of the crowds? When a person is in a situation where he's surrounded by people and everybody is doing it, what is the temptation, I ask you? The temptation is to submit and to do what the majority does. And so here is a vast group of people and the Bible says they represent the peoples of the earth and here is the symbol of the Antichrist. And the issue, my friend, listen carefully, the great issue here in Daniel 3 is worship. And the Bible says that the last great issue in the world, the last great issue which is recorded in Revelation chapter 13, is also an issue of worship. Now listen to me carefully. Here in this chapter, you have the first recorded instance of a universal decree issued by the state requiring a certain type of conformity in worship. Here we have the union of church and state and what happens when church and state are united. Today, in this great land of the United States of America, there are millions of dedicated, earnest people who believe that the problems of the United States of America would be solved and the problems of the world would be solved if church and state were united together. And if the United States government were converted and this government became a Christian nation and then this government could legislate the laws of God. And there are millions of people in this world today who are fighting to set up such an organization where the United States government will be imbued with power and will legislate laws and bring in the kingdom of God. When that happens, that will be the reign of Antichrist. The idea that church and state ought to be separate is a noble idea. But it is a very modern concept. Even the Protestant reformers just a few hundred years ago had no real idea of religious liberty. Listen, my friend. Worship is something that is very personal. It does not belong in the realms of the state, nor does prayer belong in the realm of the state. That is between me and God. Every person is endowed, this great constitution of the greatest nation in the world says, every person is endowed with certain, what, what are they? Un, it doesn't say inalienable. <laughs> it says unalienable rights, and they are the rights to prosperity and happiness, and the right to worship God. No person can tell you and me from the, we, we can read from the word of God, that's where we get it from, but no person, my friend, 
acting as a representative of the civil government can tell me when I ought to pray and how I ought to pray and how I worship God. History is filled with tragic stories of what happens when church and state become joined together. I have actually seen with these eyes the results of the Inquisition, the Spanish Inquisition. I've gone to a great church in Europe and, I've got, and I have pictures of this and if the men want to put this in as I'm talking for later use, that's fine. But I have pictures of the Spanish Inquisition. I've gone into a great church in Europe and I've seen there the rack. I've seen the Iron Virgin. I've seen the thumb screws. I've seen the pulley. I've seen these diabolical devices that were brought into effect to make men good and to make men Christian. And there was a time in Europe when the light of truth almost went out when men tried through legislation to bring in the kingdom of God. It is called the Dark Ages. It is when the church of Rome joined with the kings of the earth and the end result was the bloody inquisition and millions and millions of people put to death. And that is why this great nation, learning from the mistakes of the past, said, Congress shall make no law concerning the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. The true religion of God does not need the support of Washington or London or Moscow or Kiev to support it. The true religion of God has the support of the God of heaven. It is only the religion, my friend, of man and the religion that does not have the power of God that demands the power of the state. The highest impulses of the human soul, love, mercy, peace, cannot be legislated. They are born in the soul through the work of the Holy Spirit. And I want to say a word of warning to every person who is listening to me today and watching this on television. The United States of America is entering a perilous passage. I decry violence. I decry the awful breakdown of society. I wish that we would have a mighty spiritual revolution in this great land. But I tremble before my God for the souls of the people when I read of millions of Christians, Protestants and Catholics saying, we are going to set up the kingdom of God. We are going to have a Christian nation whenever men have succeeded in those noble ambitions before there has been anything but a noble result. There has been the cry of millions of suffering martyrs. And of course, this is the very essence of Babylon. 
What is Babylon today? Babylon, Babylon is the coalition of church and state and religious legislation to bring in the kingdom of God. That is the abomination of desolation. But of course, Nebuchadnezzar, representing the kingdom of darkness, did not understand these things at this stage. And so there is a worldwide decree. Every person must fall down and worship the God of the Babylonians. Every person must worship the abomination of desolation. And the Bible says that every person, my friend, knelt down. Every person. Did you notice that? I want you to notice this. The human heart without God can be very cruel and intolerant. We have the right to worship or not to worship. And I'll tell you another little story before we read the text. I had the privilege some little time ago of sitting down with Boris Nemtsov, the governor of Nizhny Novgorod, the advisor to the Russian government. USA News and World Report describes him as the rising star of Russia and tomorrow's man. Um, Leaders in the Western world believe that Boris Nemtsov is the best hope for Russia. I had the privilege at his invitation of sitting down with Boris Nemtsov and of course we baptized his sister, Dr. Julia. And talking to Boris Nemtsov about religious liberty, at that time he had no idea about it. Sitting beside me was the Orthodox Archbishop. He said, these people are ours. They will worship God as we say. He said, we believe in freedom of religion, our religion. We believe in freedom to believe the truth. Of course, the Russian people have freedom to believe the truth. But we say, what is the truth? I said, Boris, I want to share some things with you. And for two hours I spoke to him about church history and then I spoke to him about certain unalienable rights. I said, Boris, I want to tell you this, you don't have the right to tell the Russian people how to worship God. You cannot give to the Russian people the right to worship God. God has already given it to them. What is the responsibility of the Russian government? I said, the responsibility of the Russian government is to recognize that God has made all men free and that they are to respect those rights. You cannot tell them how to worship God. You cannot tell them how to pray. You cannot tell them how to go to church. That is between their souls and God. Boris Nemtsov has accepted this view and has become one of the greatest advocates in the ex-Soviet Union for the separation of church and state. And the United States Financial Times said recently, listen to this, they said, the city that has the greatest degree of prosperity is the city of Nizhny Novgorod where he is governor. I believe it is the blessing of God upon that city because they have said we will have the separation of church and state and all men shall be free to worship God. And you and I must understand this, that all men are created with certain unalienable rights. And the most important one is the right to worship God 
or not to worship God, to be, a, to be an atheist if I choose. That is my right to be an atheist. My worship is tremendously important and my worship is between the almighty God and my soul. And no power can step between my God and my soul in the, in the divine right to worship my God. And that, of course, is the very basis of the American experience. That is what has made this country a great nation. Verse 8 and onwards, and we will notice what happens as a result of the decree, dear hearts and gentle people. At that time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. Here you have some racism. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You have issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to your God, they neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Listen very carefully to this. Because what I want to say is very strong. Listen. One scholar said the unsanctified heart sees a threat to itself in other people. We usually evaluate men according to the manner in which they challenge or promote our personal kingdom. Racism is no modern phenomenon. We fear and hate that which is different and those who are different. There are certain Jews. Here they are. They're not the same as we are. They don't have the same accent. They don't have the same books. They don't worship our gods. Therefore, have them put to death. Whenever men see other men through the eyes of racism, it shows they have not sat at the feet of Jesus. The cry of the great Antichrist is, there are certain men and they do not worship as we worship. And so here is the decree. Get rid of them. What about the other people who were there? There were three who stood for God. The Bible tells me, now obviously Daniel wasn't there. Because of the fact of his prominence, maybe he wasn't expected to be there. We don't know. But we do know that there were a multitude of Jewish people who were taken from the city of Jerusalem and brought over to Babylon and they were there that day and they were down with their faces in the dust worshipping the abomination of desolation. But there were three young men, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, when the decree was issued, who stood and they looked at the image and they stood and they said, we will not. We will not. Read on, because the story gets even 
better. Oh, it's a great story. Oh, I get excited with these stories. Mm. It's such a great story. Let me read on. Verse 13, furious with rage, little pot soon hot. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I've set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? The answer to that was soon to come. <laughs> Things could not look worse for these men. Here were three young men, just boys. Now listen to their reply. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. There are some things you don't need to discuss. Are you listening to me today? There are some things you don't need even to discuss. They said, we don't need even to talk about it. I do not need to get my attorney. We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious. With, he must have had a real problem with his blood pressure. Always mad. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Listen to me. The Bible here is describing the man who would not bend, who would not budge, who would not bow, and glory be to God who would not burn. I want you to get these words and let them sink down into the molecules of your mind. Bend not, budge not, bow not, burn not. Hey, whatever happened to that idea that Christians don't get into trouble? That once you're a Christian, everything is apple pie. Mm -hmm. Eat too much of that, that'll get you into trouble too. 
Whatever happened to this idea that the saints in the last days are going to be raptured home to glory and they're going to go home without the great tribulation? I don't believe it. This is a picture of the last days. And the saints of God are not delivered from the fire, but glory be to God, they're delivered in the fire. And that's what our God loves to do. Now listen, I want to read you some great statements. The way of conformity is ever the way of mediocrity. Hear that? The way of conformity is ever the way of mediocrity and the price of true glory is independence of spirit and loyalty to the Most High God. Have you ever read in the scriptures where Jesus spoke about John the Baptist and he said, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind I have news for you today. I have a strong word. Get ready. I have a strong word for you. This is the world of reeds. Where people go with the crowd. Where people are afraid to stand alone. Where people are afraid to say, I will not do this thing. I will not budge. We live in a world of reeds where people have become flaky. Unreliable. Undependable. Oh yes, I'll go to church today because I feel like it. I'm not going to go to church today because I can't be bothered. What is Christianity? Christianity is following Christ, my friend. Christianity is not just warm, fuzzy feelings. Christianity is standing for Christ when you're by yourself. That is why a little lady in our church said the greatest one of the world is the one of men. Men who in their inmost souls are true to God. Men whose conscience is as true to duty as the needle to the pole. Men who will stand for the truth though the heavens fall. God give us men and women like that. But today even in our own church we are breeding spiritual wimps where we all want to go with the majority. And we're afraid to be alone. The mark of the beast is for the conformist. There will be plenty of people who have filled our pews who will get the mark of the beast because the mark of the beast is conformity to the world or to the church. And the path of conformity is the path of mediocrity. Charles II was an English king who persecuted the Protestants. He had a right-hand man. His name was Claverhouse. He carried out great persecutions against the Scottish people. He sent Claverhouse up there to Scotland to root out the accursed Protestants. There was a Protestant minister who was hiding in a cave from the dragoons. There was a little boy sent by his mother. His name was Jamie. He was seven or eight. And he would take some food daily 
to the Scottish minister, hiding from Claverhouse. Claverhouse saw this little boy and rode over on his horse, grabbed him by the scruff of the neck and held him up. Then rode with the little boy over to a cliff, said, look down, Sonny. He said, tell me, boy, where is the minister? Tell me, boy. And the little boy, his mother had told him what to say, screwed around his neck and he said, I canna. Good Scotch theology. I canna. He held the little boy out at arm's length. He said, look down, little boy. It's a long way down. The little boy said, I canna and I will not. Claverhouse said, it's a long way down. The little boy said, but not as far as hell. I canna and I will not. That is the stuff of true Christianity. Most of us in this church, in this world, do not know about it. Oh yes, I'll keep the commandments if I feel like it. Oh yes, I'll remember the Lord when I feel like it. What we need is a mighty infusion of spiritual gumption. I cannot and I will not. And these are the people who are going to make it. What's happening in this chapter is going to be repeated on a worldwide scale. Now listen to me. You can read this at home yourself in Revelation 13. You don't need to look it up now. Revelation 13 talks about the Antichrist, the beast. Then it talks about the image of the beast. The Bible says in the last days, an image of the beast. This is the very language of this chapter. Revelation 13 is built upon Revelation, uh, Daniel chapter 3. Then a decree is issued if you don't worship the image of the beast, this great coalition of church and state in the last days, you're going to be put to death. That's what it says in Revelation 13. Then it says a decree is issued saying, unless you worship the beast and get the mark of the beast, you won't be able to buy or sell. That's what it says. That is going to happen not after Jesus comes, but before Jesus comes. That's going to take a lot of courage. It's going to take a lot of courage. It's going to take the courage of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But I'm glad to tell you today, in that day, God is going to have his Jamies. God is going to have his Shadrachs and his Meshachs and his Abednegoes and his Shondars and his Steves and his Bobs and they're going to say, we will not bend, we will not bow and we will not budge and time will show that they will also not burn. Verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement. He was always losing his temper and leaping. This is a man without grace. But did you know he's going to be in heaven? I'm going to talk about that next Sabbath. Prove to you next Sabbath that Nebuchadnezzar is going to be in heaven. Did you know that? Hmm? Nebuchadnezzar is going to be in glory. I'm looking forward to seeing him, showing him these bricks. <coughs> Verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, O king. At least he could count. That's better than some folks. 
better than some folks. Some folks can't even work out which is the seventh day. It's true. Some folks can't even count to seven. It's very plain in the Bible. The Bible says the seventh day is the Sabbath. Some folks can't count as good as Nebuchadnezzar. Anyway, that's just a little aside. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement. Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? He replied, certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. You know who that was? It's Jesus. This is the son. This is the Ben Eban. This is the stone. This is the son of God. This is the son of God of Daniel 8 and the son of God of Daniel 2. Now the son of God is down in the fire. Gives you goosebumps. Fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched. There was no smell of fire on them. Listen, the fire only consumed their bonds. Did you hear this? The fire only consumed their bonds. It is the glory of our God, my friend, to deliver in the most trying circumstances. By delivering us in trouble rather than saving us from trouble, God is most honored and his people most blessed. I talk to you today now about the God who delivers. This is the theme of the book of Daniel. The word Daniel means God is my judge. God is my deliverer. And here is a glorious promise for the people of God when things are at their worst. God is alive and God will deliver his people. You in a fire today, my friend? Have you got a financial problem? Have you got a spiritual problem? You don't know what you're going to do? I want you to know this. The God who lived in Daniel's time is just the same today. He is a God who delivers. He comes and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none others have ever known. He walks with me in the fire. Now, then Nebuchadnezzar said, here he goes. Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now it's turning into a hallelujah chorus. Praise, and, and Nebuchadnezzar is conducting the choir. Nebuchadnezzar starts out to praise himself and to glorify himself, but he ends up giving glory to the God of heaven. How great is our God? Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their God. 
But now he reverts to his old true form. Therefore I decree that any people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego be cut into pieces. And their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. My friend, God was leading him. In Daniel chapter 4, this man is finally converted. But here in this chapter, he comes to see the Lord Jesus Christ. We sometimes wonder how God is going to take the message to the Chinese and so forth. Listen, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego could have knocked on doors, preached all their lives, and they would not have accomplished what happened there. Now the king becomes the instrument in preaching the gospel. He sends out by his royal messengers the word, tell everybody about the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego around the great province of the Babylonian. Pagan Babylonians get up and they say, glory be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And that of course is a promise of how God will finish his work. God has a thousand ways. Let me try to pull it together. We're going to have a test one day in the last days. Revelation 13 says, every bit as severe as this, but on a worldwide scale. It's going to happen. A time of test and trial, times of test and trial are coming. You read Revelation 13, Matthew 24. And the question I want to ask is this, how can I be a Shadrach? I want to be a Shadrach. How can I be a Meshach? How can I be an Abednego? How can I be one of God's heroes? Let me tell you. You're going to say, that's too simple. Listen, if you want to be a hero for God, some things you've got to do. You've got to read this book. You've got to soak it up. You've got to see the Son of God on every page in this book. You say, Pastor Carter, you don't know my schedule, but I know mine. I guarantee mine is as busy as any person here. I freely confess today without daily study from the word of God I would collapse morally, spiritually, physically in every other way. Jesus said it is written man shall not live by bread alone. I say to every person I baptize, I say to my friends and my associates, read the Bible. I don't care how tired you get, read the Bible. Make it a covenant. I'm going to read the Bible. Martin Luther, a Roman Catholic priest, started to read the Bible. He specialized in the book of Romans. As he read the Bible, the power of God came into his life. The text of scripture, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation, consumed him. When Martin Luther came and stood before the emperor, at the Diet of Worms, Martin Luther would not bow, he would not bend, he would not budge, and they couldn't burn him either. 
and standing before the diet at Worms, Martin Luther said, unless I am convicted by the word of God, I cannot and I will not recant. Here I stand. God help me. Amen. God's men and God's women, read the Bible. If you, if you do not have a habit of daily reading the Bible, then you will not have an inner power in your life. You are going to be a spiritually impotent person. Read the Bible. There is no alternative. If you want to be God's hero, look to Christ and not look to man. It is Christ who gives power to be steadfast and endure. Like the African pastor, Helen, Africa is becoming a hellhole. They hardly know what democracy is. Most of the states are dictatorships, one tribe against another tribe. Some time ago, in one of these states, a Marxist state, an official came to one of our churches to the pastor and said, you've got a report with your congregation to work seven days a week as volunteers. When the sun went down on Friday, the pastor said, I cannot and I will not. He said, I'm an Adventist Christian. I believe in keeping the commandments of God and I believe in keeping the Lord's day, the Sabbath. So they took the black pastor in one of these little countries and they hung him up overnight by his hands. He was a big man. They hung him up from the ceiling. Then they said to him, then will you have your church come and work on your Sabbath? He said, I cannot and I will not. I cannot and I will not. My God whom I serve is able, and if not, I will not. So they left him there for a few days. Then his hands became infested with gangrene. His wife was allowed to come and see him. He was taken off the rack and thrown on the concrete floor. His hands were swollen like footballs and the streams of poison were coursing through his body. He said to his wife, tell the people to be true to Jesus. Tell them not to submit and pray for me that God will deliver me by taking my life because I cannot bear the pain anymore. And a day or two later, he died. One of God's heroes, Neil Wilson, told me the story. One day, there's going to be a great gathering. Not on the plain of Dura, but beside the sea of glass, mingled, as it were, with fire. There are going to be people from Africa, like that pastor, and from Europe, and from Russia, and America, and Latin America, and the South Pacific, all around the world. God has a name for them. The overcomers. The Bible says they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. 
by the word of their testimony, and loved not their lives unto the death. God's people who all share certain characteristics, human frailty. We are all sinners. I am the chief of sinners, said Paul. I say the same. I am the chief of sinners, the least of the saints, not worthy to be called an apostle, but redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. That company redeemed by the blood of the Lamb will be God's overcomers who in their inmost souls have been true to God and who have said, I cannot and I will not, who would not bend or budge or bow. I want desperately to be numbered with the heroes of God. Therefore, my message to you today is this. Here it is. Listen. From the plains of Dura, of old Babylon, echoing down the corridors of time, comes the voice of the three Hebrew worthies. Bend not. Budge not. Bow not. Burn not. Amen.